Good morning. It's very, very good to see you here today. Uh, what a wonderful day it is. It is the Lord's Day, a uh, time to come together, a time to encourage one another. Uh, this is the best day of the week, as Brother Nathan has said on numerous occasions. This is the day uh, that our minds become more focused, intently focused on things of the Lord. And, and I hope that our lesson this morning will help you do that, that it will help you really intently focus on the Lord and focus on your life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the grace of God. We talked about the mercy of God. We talked about God's righteousness through Jesus Christ and how none of us are righteous without him. That really, in perspective of who God is, there, there's no such thing as good people. Now, I understand we use that word and we, we, we understand what we mean when we say, well, he's a good person. And, and certainly there's a, there's a truth to that in that subjective way. But understanding that there's no one good in the sight of God will also help us and I hopefully build a foundation for our study today as we talk about the ten lepers. I appreciate the reading of the morning. Uh, we're not going to get into the ten lepers just yet. I want to first talk about a couple of things to introduce our subject this morning. And I want to begin in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Paul writing here says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Very common set of verses, isn't it? Something we've studied about, talked about, something we probably all strive to attain to, this idea of how is it that we stop living life according to our own desires and live according to the desire of God. And that's what he's talking about here. There's a word here, beseech. That's not a word we use in our common contemporary vernacular, beseech you. He's saying, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to live this way, to present your bodies as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. And he said, that is your reasonable service. That word reasonable there, if you look it up, means rational. It means something that's calculated. It means when we view something, we, we make a rational discernment about this, this concept. And what is the concept? He says, in view of or in light of the mercies of God, it's only rational that we all live a life of holiness, a life of surrender, a life of service that is acceptable to the will of God. Did you know that? You know that, don't you? We, we all know this. We all, we all know that we ought to live a life of sacrifice to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. But you know, sometimes I, I think we know this in an, in an abstract way, in a conceptual way, but there's a missing element that's often ignored when it comes to this concept. And you know what it is? Gratitude. That's the missing concept, gratitude. Because the truth is, I can look at the mercies of God, I can look at the sacrifice of Jesus, I can look at the love of God and what he's done for me all day long, but unless I'm grateful for it, it does nothing in my life. Nothing at all. It doesn't motivate me, it doesn't move me, it doesn't provoke me, it doesn't inspire me. And that's what this story that, we've just, that Brother Monty's just read for us is about. It's about gratitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Now listen to this. In everything, 
give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How important is it in your heart and in your mind to give thanks in everything? (laughs) That's tough. You know why? Because I'm not thankful for everything. Are you? I'm just being open here. There's things I look at in my life and go, I'm not thankful for that. I'm not thankful for that. And I wouldn't verbalize that or say that out loud. I certainly wouldn't say that to God, but we think those things sometimes, don't we? How is it that I can be thankful to God in everything? Because that's the will of God, that we are thankful in everything. So let's talk about these lepers. I want us to answer four questions today. Ask and answer four questions, four things to consider. Number one, are we fulfilling God's will in our life through our gratitude? That's going to be the main focus of our lesson this morning. Are we, as individuals, I'll judge my life, you judge yours. I'm not here to judge your life, but I hope you'll judge and examine your own heart. As we all consider, are we fulfilling God's will in our life to be grateful because that is God's will for us? And number two, what causes ungratefulness? Because I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there's, there's a lot of times in my life I look at some attitudes that I have, some things that I've exhibited in my life, and I say, you know what, I'm not being very grateful. And I want to ask the question, what causes that? What causes us to be ungrateful? Number three, how can we know if we're grateful? In other words, we talk about gratitude, we talk about thankfulness. Is there a way to quantify that? How are we going to be able to, to, to look at our lives and know if we're being grateful or not? And finally, how does gratitude or a lack of gratitude, on the other hand, affect my life and my relationship with God? You know, when you think about gratitude, you may not think that that's that big a deal, that it's not that big a deal, and how that affects your relationship with God and the way that our life is and the way our attitude is, the way our heart is, the way our mind is, but but it greatly does. And I hope that we'll all see these things today. So again, let's talk about the 10 lepers. So what, what were the biggest issues with leprosy? Well, the biggest issues are this. It was incurable, and it was fatal. It, it was a death sentence. And, 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 and depending, you know, on the case and the person, it, it may be a rather short time that someone dies from something like organ failure, or it may be a very prolonged disease that lasts for a very long time with a lot of side effects. But... It wasn't a disease that you wanted. Obviously, we don't want any diseases, but leprosy was one of those diseases that affected people more than about any other disease that existed. In fact, leprosy was such a problem that if you go back to the old law and the law of Moses and you read Leviticus chapter 13, there's 59 verses in that chapter that all deal with how to deal with lepers. That ought to get our attention. An entire chapter in the law of God about leprosy. Why? Because it wasn't just a fatal disease, an incurable disease. It was a highly contagious disease, very infectious. And I want to read some things that that I read about leprosy. Uh, Just some of the physical aspects of leprosy. It says, the infection of leprosy can lead to damage of the nerves, respiratory tract, skin, and eyes. This nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain, which can lead to the loss of of parts of a person's extremities from repeated injuries or infection through unnoticed wounds. So here's what that means in, in layman terms. 
because of the deep damage that leprosy would do to the nervous system and the nerves that exist, you'd lose the sensation of feeling in a lot of your extremities. So your hands, your arms, your feet, you, you might injure them, you might cut them, they, it might have some infection, you'd never feel it. Basically, you become desensitized to that feeling. And because of that, people's fingers would fall off, their arms would fall off, their feet would fall off. A lot of times the numbness led to people being invalid, which is why you see in this artist's rendition today, all these lepers are doing what? They're carrying walking sticks. You know why? Because that was one of the biggest problems with leprosy. It, it, it hindered your ability to be able to walk around. It's just a terrible disease. Well, that's not all that it did. There was also a lot of social issues that were caused by leprosy. And I would say, for me, this would probably be the, most, the biggest discouragement. If you were a leper and your family didn't have leprosy, guess what? Your relationship with them is over. It's done. It's over. Can you imagine that? The only people you get to be social with are other lepers. They had what was called lepers' colonies. You, you didn't get to get close to people, to feel your family's physical touch, the warmth of their hug, the softness of their voice. In fact, the only communication you could have with your family was at a distance, and you'd have to yell back and forth to one another. Imagine waking up every day, and that's your life. Every day you wake up, <clears throat> and you look at your skin, and you see these boils that are festering, you feel the pain, maybe even the numbness. You notice the numbness in your extremities. And the first thing you think every morning is this is going to kill me. And there's no hope. There's no hope. Maybe from time to time your family passes by the leper colony from a distance and you see them. And it, and it brings you great joy, but when they leave it brings you great pain because you know there's no hope. I'll never be able to touch them or embrace them again. And then you hear about a man named Jesus, a healer, and you hear he's healed a leper. How that must have changed your life. To know now there's hope, but he's not here. And so you're waiting, and there's 10 of you, and every day you're waiting to hear about Jesus passing back through your land so you can go to where he is because he's the only hope you ever have of being cured of this terrible disease. And he arrives, and you go out, and as the Bible says in our reading, you stand afar off and you cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priests. He didn't heal them at that point. What did he say? Go show yourself to the priests. Why? Because it was up to the priests to examine them and determine whether or not their leprosy had left them so they could be restored to society, restored to their family. But they're going toward the priests with this leprous disease. And it says, as they went, on the way, they were healed. Can you imagine that scene as these ten men are traveling together? And they look at one another, and they're no longer leprous. The joy, the joy that they must have felt. I mean, it's not like these guys were strangers. They lived in the leper's colony together. They know one another. They must have rejoiced together. And then one of them, just one, it says when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down, at his feet, uh, fell down on his face at his feet, that's Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? 
where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now we're going to talk about that foreigner concept and that Samaritan concept a little later. So I want you to put that in your back pocket and hold on to that because we're going to come back to it later and talk about the, the, the significance of this man being a Samaritan. But what I want to notice right now is where are the nine? I'll tell you where they were. They were rejoicing. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's right. Think about where they were in life. Would you ever think that these nine people would not be rejoicing about what's just happened? Would not be happy that their leprosy was cleansed? See, we read that into the story. Oh, these people didn't have any thankfulness. They weren't grateful at all. They didn't experience. No, of course they did. Of course they did. How could you not? You're so desperate to find healing. You're looking for the Messiah. He comes and he heals you. Of course you're joyful. Of course you're grateful. But there's something different about the one. Something different about the one. Three things. Four things, actually. Number one, he returned. He returned. And when he returned, it says that he was giving loud praises to God. And number three, he fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus. And he gave him thanks. What was different? I'll tell you what was different. Oftentimes, we all possess some level of gratitude. I believe these nine that Jesus said were the nine, I believe they were grateful. I believe they were thankful. But the problem is they were thankful and grateful about the blessing they received and not about the blesser. And see, that happens. We can be grateful for something, grateful for the blessing, but not grateful toward the giver of that blessing. This man understood why he had the blessing and he returned to show his gratitude toward the blesser you know that's true of even people in the world you hear people that don't even believe in God say I'm so grateful for this well to who who are they grateful for to it's not about who it's it's it's, it's about the circumstance and let's not get caught up in that and forget the giver of the blessing James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Listen, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is the giver of all good things. He deserves the glory. He deserves the loud praises. He deserves us to give him thanks. But I'm afraid sometimes in my life I just assume God knows I'm thankful. He knows I'm grateful. He knows I'm thankful. But I don't give him praises. I don't thank him for those things. I didn't ask Brother Monty to lead that song this morning, but were you noticing the, the, the words of the message of that song? When I think about what God does in my life, when I think about Jesus, how can I keep from singing his praise? How can I not shout loud praises to God? Maybe it's because we're not grateful. If the answer is, I don't, then maybe that's what it is. We don't recognize the blessings. We don't recognize the blesser. The giver. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, or if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things now here's a problem that i've had in my life I, i'm going to tell you this right now i'm a worrier i didn't say i'm a warrior i said i'm a worrier i overthink everything 
Toy knows this. She lives with me. It probably drives her crazy. I, I worry. And so what do I do? I pray about it. And then I worry some more. <laughs> and then I pray about it. And I worry some more. You say, well, that's not how it's supposed to work. Well, I'll tell you why it doesn't work sometimes for me. It's because I don't do all of what Paul says here. I do the prayer part, but I don't do this part. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I want to encourage you to do something. Next time you're anxious about something, I'm not saying just a little concern. I mean, next time you're anxious about something, it's overwhelming you, sit down and grab a piece of paper and do something. Take an inventory. First, write down all the spiritual blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. Start there. And then next, write down every person in your life who loves you and blesses your life and enriches you. That's number two. So all the spiritual blessings, then all the people in your life that love and bless you. Number three, write down all your physical blessings. And once you make that list, then I want you to go back to that list and look at them individually one by one and say, how bad would my life be without that blessing and that blessing and that blessing? And I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll make your anxiety level much smaller. What is the key to dealing with anxiety in our life? It's trusting God giving it to God, and being thankful. But you know what I do? I don't think about the true, the noble, the just, the pure, the lovely, the good report. You know what I think about? Whatever's giving me anxiety, whatever the problem is in my life, take an inventory. If you're not grateful in your life, take an inventory of your blessings. That is so important. Luke chapter 15 and verse 29, it says of the older brother, when the younger brother, the lost brother, comes home, it says, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. You know one of the greatest causes of ingratitude? Envy. Envy. We look at other people's lives and we say, it's not fair. Why don't I have that? You know what? That's, that's not a realistic way to manage your expectations. I mean, that's exactly the reaction that Peter had when, when the Lord told him, Peter, do you love me? And he said, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. I, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he looks over at John and goes, what about this guy? You just told me I'm going to die for you, but what about this guy? What about John? And Jesus said, what's that to you? How's that any of your concern? I told you what your life's going to be, what you're going to do for me. Why are you worried about what John's going to do for me? I'll tell you because that's human nature. To go, that's not fair. I should get what he's got. I should have what he has. And that's what this older brother says. He says, he says why are you doing this? Why are you throwing this party for your son who's, who's lived his life this way and done these things? I've always been with you. I've always done what you've asked me to. And he says, son, everything I've got is yours. Why are you not taking an inventory? You're my son. And you're always present with me. And everything I have is yours. Why are you envying this? You know, we see envy destroying people. 
1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 7, after David comes back from slaying the giant Goliath, and Saul and David are there, and it says, The women sang as they danced, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul I David from that day forward. I don't think the rest of the story, uh, all this needs explaining, but what I want to really focus on is right here. His envy, notice the result of his envy. So Saul eyed who? David from that day forward. Do we really understand the power of that statement that he eyed David from that day forward? I think we read that and we go, oh yeah, he was watching David. No, 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 no. His entire focus and attention for the rest of his life were on David. You know what Saul did for the rest of his kingship? Follow David. Chase David. Try to murder David. You know what happened? Saul didn't take an inventory. Okay, yes, they're praising David. Okay, I recognize one day David's going to be king, but I'm king right now, and I have an opportunity to bless this kingdom and be the best king that I can be and do what I'm supposed to do for the kingdom. No, he didn't have any of that attitude. You know what he did? He wasted the rest of his time on the throne chasing David. Trying to kill David. Why not count the blessings? Why not be grateful to God? Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. As Paul is talking about the world without God, the world of the Gentiles, as he's talking about those, he says, it wasn't that they didn't have any evidence of God's existence. They knew. He said, those things are clearly seen. They're made evident by nature. They're made evident by by all kinds of things, that there is a God and God exists. He said, that's not the problem. But he said, the problem is, when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful nor were they thankful see it starts right there just believing in God it's not good enough when we don't glorify God and we're not thankful to God do you know what happened to them when they weren't thankful I'll tell you what happened they began to worship the creature instead of the creator they became enamored with the blessings instead of the blesser You know, old English statesman John Bright said this. He said, he is a self-made man and worships his creator. I want to say that again. Think about it. He's a self-made man and worships his creator. See, that's what happens with ingratitude. It leads to narcissism. It leads to arrogance. It leads us to think that we are self-made. These are my blessings because I worked hard. They're what I've done. They're what I've accomplished. I built this. I did this. We do nothing without God. We do nothing without God. Maybe we did work hard. Maybe we did make wise decisions. Maybe we did build that. But is that where it ends? And we forget? Acts 17, verse 26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to, uh, to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now listen. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him or reach for him or touch him and find him. Though, listen, he is not far 
from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also of his offspring. Paul talking to a group of idolatrous people says, I want to tell you about the one true and living God. Not these idols that you've got out here, not these images of gods that you've got out here, but the God that you don't see, the God that made you, the God that connects himself with you, the God that created you in his own image, the God that causes you to have life and existence. That's what the word being means there. Existence and the one who causes you to move. And I'll tell you, when I go out and I work hard, it's because God gave me the ability to move. When God blesses me, with prosperity, it's because God blessed me with the ability to work and be responsible. And I'll tell you, if God doesn't want me to move, I don't move. And if he doesn't want me to breathe, I don't breathe. And if he doesn't want me to exist, I don't exist. And I forget sometimes who the blesser is. You say, well, maybe I don't like my life. <laughs> I don't want to be thankful for my existence. A lot of people feel that way. I don't want to exist. I don't want to exist. I don't want to live. I don't want to breathe. I sympathize with you if you feel that way. I, I tell you, there's nothing more tragic to me than when someone's life is so hopeless that they feel like worth it. life is not worth living. But I'll tell you, this life is just a moment. It's a vapor. And when you think about how different things will be through Jesus Christ, even if life is not good now, how can you not sing his praise? 2 Corinthians 5 for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal heavens. Don't get confused by the literal statements here. He's not talking about building houses. He's talking about this body that we live in, this body, this physical body. And he likens it to a house. And he said, if this earthly house, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now listen, for in this we groan, in this body we groan. Why? Because life's hard. Life's hard. We groan in this body, but look, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this body, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Why would I be grateful? I'll tell you why, because sometimes I'm not grateful for this body. But I'll tell you, if I'm going to envy the guy that's above me, maybe I ought to envy the guy that's below me. Because I'll tell you, envying the guy that's, that's above me is always going to lead me toward jealousy and no contentment. But when I think about those beneath me, I got it pretty good. My body, pretty good shape. I'm not a leper. I'm not an invalid. I don't sit in a chair and can't do anything but slobber on myself. I'll tell you, we could keep going. But I tell you, I've got a lot better than a lot of people. And no matter how bad my life actually is, here's what I do know. God is going to clothe me with an immortal body that has no pain, no suffering, no corruption. How can I not praise him? It's because I'm too worried about the blessing or the lack of the blessing and not about the blesser and not about the eternal and the spiritual because I'm worried about the now. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each one of us has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
Now, when we talk about stewardship, we often talk about money, don't we? That's usually what we talk about. God's made us a steward of his blessings. And so, you know, all money is God's. We understand that everything is God's, and we're just stewards of those things. And so God gives us those things as stewards to do what? To distribute them, to use them. Is he talking about money here? Absolutely not. I mean, it could be included in that, but that's not the focus. He says that whatever God's given you, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When we really grasp what we have, when we're moved with gratitude, I'll tell you what it'll do for us. It'll move us to use the things, the blessings that we're thankful for, for God's glory. So let's look at that. Matthew 18, 30. This is a parable that was very familiar to us about forgiveness where, where two people are struggling in this debt situation and one of those debtors owed 10,000 talents, an unpayable debt, if you will. And this person was forgiven all that debt, just forgiven it. He didn't do anything. He didn't pay it off. It was just loosed. Would you say that that is what we've described, someone receiving a gift? So what do you think God expects this person to do? He expects him to minister that gift to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's given him grace. He wants him to manifest that and use it for someone else. So what do we see here? It says, when he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, okay, now let's listen real close. Let's listen really close. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you have not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Why was this man merciless? What did Jesus say? You're ungrateful. That's why. You're not forgiving your brother because you're ungrateful. Because you don't see the debt that I loosed for you. And because you're not grateful for that, you're not willing to give it to someone else. See, to be a manifold, uh, or to be rather a steward of the manifold grace of God, I must first recognize I am the recipient of those blessings. And I don't deserve them. I didn't do anything to earn them. They've been given to me clearly by the grace and mercy of God. And then I can be grateful and use them for God's glory. But I'll tell you, some, some ways that gratitude is manifest makes us uncomfortable. It just, it does, it makes us uncomfortable. And I, I, I want to give you an example of that. What if today somebody came in here and they walked up here and they sat on the front row and they cried through the whole service? How would that make you feel? What if it was loud sobbing? What, would you feel a, a, a compulsion to go stop them, to control them? To judge what's in their heart? To wonder why they're doing what they're doing? What if the reason that happened is because they are so overwhelmed by the goodness and mercy of God? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Just because we haven't felt that doesn't mean someone else won't. What if somebody came in here today and they fell down in the middle of the aisle back there on their face and worshiped God? We'd say, oh, that's not decent in order. That's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. And we'd all turn and look at them and we'd go, what are they trying to accomplish? Oh, they're just trying to get attention. Oh, they're just putting on a show. Oh, well, <laughs> they're one of those people. What we feel, what we think. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? 
But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Now listen, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. If somebody came in here and fell down on their face and worshiped God because of his goodness, we shouldn't be shocked by it because that's exactly what Paul said the desired effect of an assembly would produce. People truly being touched by the goodness of God. I know that's not our culture. I'm not suggesting that you fall on your face in the middle of an assembly. That's not my point. My point is, do we ever fall down on our face and thank God for his goodness and return glory to him because of the blessings in our life? Or do we just think that's strange? What did the leper do? He fell down on his face and worshiped God. Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, if we look at this story in all four Gospels and you do a little digging, I think there's some really good evidence that this is Mary Magdalene. I'm not going to present it that way this morning. That's not our focus. I want you to notice how Luke identifies this woman who was a sinner. That's... Not really the way you want to be identified, but he does that for a reason. There's a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Oh, you think you'd be uncomfortable if somebody fell down in the middle of the aisle? Just try to imagine this scene. Now, they didn't typically sit in chairs. They sit on the floor with their feet behind them, and they sort of recline on their side, so his feet are behind him. And all of a sudden, you're sitting in a house, and this woman, who you all know, and she has a very bad reputation of being a sinful person, a depraved person, somebody who rebels against God and lives in depravity. And she walks in the house, and she walks behind Jesus, and she's crying so much. The amount of tears that she produces are enough to wash someone's foot. And she has no towel. And so she takes her hair. And she's leaned over the feet of Jesus and she's washing his feet with her hair. Now we're, we're pretty worried about our hair, right? We don't want our hair getting dirty. I mean, we wash it every day. And Imagine washing someone's foot with your hair. Right? That's, just, that's gross, right? That's nasty. You think that's what she's thinking? This is disgusting. This is, so, this is so demeaning. It's not what she's thinking. She begins to take and kiss Jesus' feet. No. Kiss someone's foot? Let's just imagine we're the Pharisees. We're the spectators in the room. We're watching this scene. What's going on through your mind right now? I'll tell you the first thing that's going on in my mind is, are you going to let her do that? Are you okay with this? I mean, look, I don't even want you touching my feet, much less cleaning my feet with your tears and kissing them. I mean, are you going to allow that? Well, if that's what I was thinking, I'd have been in the company of the Pharisees because that's what they were thinking. And if you notice this, when the Pharisee, who I think was Simon, he says Simon in a minute, this Pharisee who had invited him and saw this, listen, he spoke to himself. So he doesn't say it out loud. We're getting Luke's narrative through the Holy Spirit of what the man was thinking to himself. This man, if he were a prophet, he would know what, 
who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him? What, what was his reaction to what she was doing? The first thing he did was judge Jesus after he judged the woman. He was really a prophet. A godly man, say it that way, a godly man would never allow that to happen because that woman is unclean. So Jesus, knowing his thoughts, answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. And Jesus says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. He said one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? I mean, we all know that's, the, that's an easy question, right? We all know the answer to that. So Simon gets the answer out. He says, obviously, you know, it's, it's the one that he forgave the most. He said, you've rightly judged. Isn't that a simple concept? I mean, if you're forgiven a greater debt, you're going to be more grateful, right? You're going to love more, right? Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Look at her, Simon. Look at her. Do you see her? I came in your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet from the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now listen, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, here's the obvious teaching in this story. You go back to the parable that Jesus gives about the debtor, the two debtors. It's very obvious from the story. If somebody owes a greater debt, they're going to be more what? Thankful. They're going to be more thankful. That's the obvious part of the story. But here's the part that you really kind of have to look at a little deeper to get. And here's what Jesus is telling Simon. Simon, the reason you didn't do what she's done for me, not even in a lesser way, is because you don't love me very much. You don't love me like she does. Now you look at him a little differently, don't you? All of a sudden, it's not this depraved woman, this unclean person on the floor. It's somebody who loves Jesus more than the person who's sitting at the table. Now, let's dig a little bit. Why did Simon not love Jesus as much as the sinful woman? Was it because he didn't have as many sins? Well, I don't know. I mean, we don't know that, right? We don't know that. Well, he, he said, to whom little is forgiven... See, it's not always that easy on the surface. It may not be about how much sin has actually occurred, but how we perceive ourselves. How we perceive ourselves. Because if I don't think I've been forgiven much, I'm not going to love much. If I view myself as more righteous, I'm not going to love much. Because see, love, how much we love Jesus, is directly in proportion to our gratitude, which is directly in proportion to our what? Our humility which is directly in proportion to our perception and view of ourselves and also who God is. And I'll tell you, that's the key to being more grateful is to understand who we are and who God is. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Simon doesn't get it. And I want you to think back on this leper for a moment. I told you to put that in your back pocket. Pull it out. We're going to talk about it. Why does Luke give us this seemingly insignificant detail that this man was a Samaritan? Why say that? You know, the truth is, if you're a Samaritan in that day, even if your leprosy is cleansed, you're still dirty. You're still dirty. This man was grateful. 
And I'll tell you, before he had leprosy, if he, if, unless he was born with leprosy, before he had leprosy, he was already dirty in the eyes of society, already unclean. You know what these lepers had to do? They had to walk around once they were, were diagnosed with leprosy with their clothes torn and their head shaved and wearing a face mask, walking around. Anytime they came anywhere close to somebody who didn't have leprosy, they had to go, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine that? You think this man enjoyed that? This leper? He already got those looks because he's a Samaritan. Everybody was already going, unclean, unclean. You think that didn't affect his gratitude? See, this man didn't have this sense of entitlement that I deserve to be cleansed because of I'm a seed of Abraham. I deserve to be cleansed because of who my parents are. I deserve to be cleansed because I'm of the house of Israel. This man didn't have a sense of entitlement. He came back and he returned and he gave glory to God. And so do we. Do we. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us. Listen. The grace of God teaches us something. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. What does that mean? zealous it literally means to burn we sing a song sometimes light the fire i love that song light the fire i stand to praise you but i fall to my knees light the fire do you want to be on fire for the lord i do that's what god wants a people who are on fire to do good works are we on fire I'll tell you what the grace of God teaches us. It teaches us to be on fire for the Lord. And I want to ask you a question. If you're not on fire for the Lord, why is that? Again, I'll judge my heart and you judge yours. But I'll tell you what Jesus told Simon. That woman's on fire for the Lord. I'll tell you why. Because she loves me a lot. And Simon, you don't. You wouldn't dare do the things that she does because you don't have the same heart. Because you're not on fire. Why would our love be small for Jesus? How grateful are we? Have you taken an inventory lately? Psalms 100 says this. Make a joyful shout to the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Every day, friends, we should wake up and take an inventory. We should wake up and thank God for every blessing in our life. You say, I ain't got time to do that. Wake up earlier. <laughs> we got time. I got time to sit around and think about nothing. I've certainly got time to sit around and think about God, don't I? And think about those blessings and thank God for those blessings. Take an inventory. Are you grateful? Do you return to Him like that leper? Do you return to Him? Don't just assume that God knows you're thankful. Let's all give God thanks. Let's take an inventory of the gifts and blessings. Do we show our gratitude by sacrificing those blessings to His glory and honor? Do we as he says there in Titus, 
deny ourselves of ungodly pleasures and live in holiness and righteousness. That's directly related to our gratitude. We do that because of what God's done for us. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Is there a burning within us to do these things? You know, what bothers me, I'm talking to me personally, (laughs) is when I'll do something for God, but I do it with a bad attitude. Because then I feel like, this is not right. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Somebody asked me to do something, yeah, I'll do that. Why? Why are we that way? Can you imagine what this sinful woman would have done if she would have thought about whether or not it was going to be exciting or pleasurable to do what she did? She would have never walked in that house. She put herself out there. Everybody shamed her. They looked at her as as though she was some freak, some person who doesn't know how to behave appropriately. She was burning. And I want to encourage you, when somebody asks you to do something in service for the Lord, to go, oh, do I have to do that again? Why do I have to do that? Why doesn't somebody else have to do that? I guess I'll do that. It's only rational, more than rational, that we all burn because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That we live to serve, we love to serve. That we love him much and we're grateful. Friends, today, if you have not had the spiritual blessings that are through Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to come to Jesus today. Come to him. Let him bless your life with a blessing that goes beyond any factor of this world. If you are a child of God, maybe you've been ungrateful. I don't know your heart. Maybe you're just moved to praise God and you want to return thanks. Whatever your need is this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and we sing.